today working with the series that we are doing that is about what the prophet Isaiah has to say about the Messiah. Uh, and we've been doing this through these, these Sundays of Advent in ways that bring us towards uh, understanding what Isaiah means by these titles that he gives to the Messiah. And we've been using Isaiah 9, verse 6 as sort of our theme for that, where these titles come from. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, where it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we've been using those four titles at the end of this verse as sort of our roadmap for the season of Advent, looking at what those four titles mean according to the prophet Isaiah. So in, in every one of these messages, we're we're looking at other passages in Isaiah that tell us something about what those titles mean for the Messiah. So we've done that through the weeks, through the first three weeks of Advent. We did those first three, right? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Now today we're on that last title, Prince of Peace. What does the prophet Isaiah mean? What does he have in mind when he calls the Messiah the Prince of Peace? So we're going to get into that today using another passage from Isaiah that gets something towards that. Now, before I read that together, let me just set the scene so you can picture in your head what this passage is talking about. All right? Let's remind ourselves of when Isaiah lived, that he lived in the southern kingdom of Judah around Jerusalem between the times when the northern kingdom fell to the empire of Assyria and the southern kingdom falls to Babylon. So the northern kingdom was conquered in the year 722 B.C. The southern kingdom falls in the year 586 B.C. Isaiah lives between those times. So they have seen their fellow countrymen, their brothers and sisters who live in the northern part of Israel already be conquered and already destroyed and already carried away to captivity. They're living in Jerusalem and now they start hearing word. They start hearing rumors of another empire. The news keeps coming in of there's this other kingdom now, Babylon. And they're growing in power and they're coming closer and closer. And they keep hearing news coming of now there's a new threat, a bigger threat, a stronger threat. And that news keeps coming to them. That's what they're hearing. And Okay, let's remind ourselves, too. In, in Bible times, they, they didn't get their information on their phones or through that kind of media, right? There weren't newspapers that they read. They didn't have cable TV networks. None of that. All of that would be news that's delivered by messengers. So as they live in the city of Jerusalem, they wait for these messengers to arrive, telling about, tell us about the conflicts that are somewhere out over the horizon. Give us the news of what's coming. That's the setting, okay? That's the time in which Isaiah lives. And that's what we picture then. Picture that in your head of living during a time like that when Isaiah writes these words because this is a passage that envisions that scene, okay? So I'm going to read from Isaiah 52. I'm going to read the first 10 verses. Before I do that, let's pray together. God, as we open your word today, this is your word for our lives. 
And Lord, we pray that as we read this, that we would see the story that you have here for us to see. That it's a story about your people in Old Testament Israel. But it's also a story for us today as we gather in the Advent season awaiting our Messiah as well. Lord, may your Spirit speak that to our hearts. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, Isaiah 52. I'm going to read the first 10 verses. Awake, awake, Zion. Clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor, Jerusalem, the holy city. The uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. Shake off your dust. Rise up, sit enthroned, Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck, daughter Zion, now a captive. For this is what the Lord says, you were sold for nothing, and without money you will be redeemed. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, at first my people went down to Egypt to live. Lately, Assyria has oppressed them. And now what do I have here, declares the Lord? For my people have been taken away for nothing, and those who rule them mock, declares the Lord. And all day long, my name is constantly blasphemed. Therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, in that day, they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So today, as we consider what this means, yeah, picture that scene. Picture what that scene looks like as Isaiah is giving those words and these people hear that message, that message of what it means for God's people to be waiting for that salvation. They're hearing of that threat that's somewhere off on a distant horizon. They know that's coming. And they wonder, will God save us? Will it be all right? What news will arrive? Now, I, Isaiah uses this passage in, in sort of ways that jump all over, past, present, and future. 
if you catch a glimpse of that that takes place in this passage. That there's some reference in here to Egypt, if you notice that, right? Egypt in the Old Testament and, and the times when God's people were slaves in a faraway place. And then that present time where they're living right now in this moment of anxiety. How much longer can our kingdom hold out? But then also Isaiah's pointing ahead to the future. That your God is a God who also will save you, who will be your redeemer, who will do that. Because if you've been following any of this through the book of Isaiah, you know that by the time we get to chapter 52, Isaiah has already given the prophecies. He's already told them, you know what? Babylon's going to win this round. That Jerusalem's not going to make it. At least not right now. Not for you. But God has not abandoned you. God's salvation comes to you. So look at how that takes place in this passage. And I, I just read 10 verses out of chapter 52 there, but uh, there's actually, that's the middle section of something a little larger. And in past weeks, I've talked about the whole context of Isaiah as, as the entire book. I'm not going to repeat that today, but just look at maybe some of the surrounding context right here. Verse 1 begins with a repeated word. Awake, awake, right? Wake up. And again, we're picturing the scene, that it's the watchmen in Jerusalem who see the news. Of their, the herald is coming, right? That There's news coming, so everybody, wake up, wake up. That's sort of the marker for that section. But if you're looking in a Bible and have it open, or if you don't have it open, trust me, it's there. You back up a little bit and you find that same thing. In fact, it comes back at verse, it comes back at verse uh, 17 of the chapter before. So in chapter 51, verse 17, that same word appears. Awake, awake, beginning that section. And then what we read today in chapter 52, verse 1, again, wake up, wake up, comes again. And right after the section that we read, we ended at verse 10, but verse 11 it's depart, depart, a repeated phrase there as well. And I know it's a different word, but in the Hebrew language, those words are only one letter different. They're almost identical. So it follows that poetic rhyming, at least in the Hebrew language it does. And it all sort of follows that story, that narrative, that picture that we see of these people in Jerusalem just waiting for the news. When will our Savior come? When will we be redeemed? What will that look like? So as they do that with those repeated words that we see in this, it sets the scene that the prophet uses to point forward, to point forward to a time when God would come to redeem his people again. That this is a prophecy that lives on in Israel's history to remind them again and again, because they're living in a place where they don't seem to have much hope. When they hear the news of Babylon coming, they don't have much hope for what they can do about that. They know that they don't have the strength to fight these forces on their own. And as this passage would move forward into the future, it would be the same again. That when they are people who do live in a time of captivity, that there as well, they live as people who have no hope of finding freedom on their own. 
And so Isaiah draws to the past. He says, you think this is the first time? You remember our ancestors? Do you remember the ones who lived in Egypt when they were slaves there? They could not free themselves either. They had no hope either. But remember what God did for them. Remember the way God showed up for them when they had nothing on their own to do to help themselves. That's our God. That's how our God shows up to free us like that. So in that final section, verse 11 and following, which I didn't read for our passage today, where it begins with those words, depart, depart. It sort of brings that to mind. Oh yeah, remember that. Remember the Passover. Remember that time when those who went before us received that word. It's time to leave your captivity. It's time to go out from the place of slavery. And what Isaiah says in those verses is, and your God goes with you. You will be protected. You will be safe as you do that. Isaiah is drawing that all together, right? Past, present, future, all into this moment then. That as the people of God lived in a time of, in their time, a time of uncertainty of what was coming, Isaiah looks to broaden the picture a bit to see beyond their horizons, to remind them again of who their God is that comes to save them, that this is the God that they serve. This is the God who goes before them. How does that come through in this passage then? These people who seem to have no hope, but then God gives them hope. As that comes towards us. In this passage, it comes with a few words that sort of clue us in that direction that we see that passage that maybe is familiar, right? On the mountain, how beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. That good news, well, that's, that's actually in Hebrew then, would be something that in the New Testament comes as gospel. It shows up as gospel. Who brings the gospel? Who proclaim peace? It's the Hebrew word shalom. And again, who brings good news? It's the gospel. And then who proclaims salvation? Now, salvation, that's the Hebrew word Yeshua, or we know it by the name, Joshua. But the Greek equivalent of Yeshua is Jesus, Jesus. So take the language that's in this verse that we see In verse 7, what's the message that comes? What is the message that Isaiah is actually proclaiming for these people? He's saying, here's the message that I'm proclaiming. I am proclaiming gospel. I'm proclaiming shalom. Proclaiming gospel. I'm proclaiming Jesus. Your God reigns. All those things coming together in this passage, the way that we see that. A piece then about what that shalom looks like. Shalom. As it comes to us, it is a piece that shows us how God saves. That he brings shalom. I know I've talked about shalom before. If, if I had to make 
my top five list of themes of the Bible. I mean, because if you ask the question, tell me what the Bible's about, where do you start, right? The Bible's about so much. But if I had to make my top five list of themes of the Bible, I would include shalom in that list. I think it's one of the major themes of Scripture from the very beginning to the very end. And it's one that gets overlooked, it seems to me. Shalom. That's the title of the Messiah that we're looking at today. The Prince of Peace. Peace. Shalom. But in the Hebrew mind, shalom means more than what we think of as peace. Right? We think of peace as being the absence of conflict. Right? When, when there's not any conflict or violence going on around us, that's peace. But in the Hebrew mind, it's more than that. It's not just the absence of conflict, it's the proactive advancement of something else, of thriving, of flourishing, of well-being. Those things come together as a description of what shalom looks like. Isaiah gives that title to the Messiah. He is the prince of shalom. Uh, in prince, the, the Hebrew word for prince, it simply means an official of the king or a representative of the king. That the Messiah comes who is the representative of shalom, thriving, flourishing, well-being. Well-being, that, one, that word is sort of self-explanatory in a way, right? Well-being, well, it's the condition of being well. And everything that goes with that. So I don't know what that, maybe you envision around that. Here in West Michigan, the, the kind of thing that I envision are one of those absolutely perfect sunsets at the beach. If you've ever experienced something like that. Right? Maybe just a few thin clouds that pick up all the color as it goes down. And I envision a day where it's Maybe 75 degrees, because, I don't know, that's my perfect temperature outside, but you make that temperature whatever's perfect for you. Maybe a light breeze, not windy, not a cold breeze, not a warm, hot breeze, just right. No bugs, no mosquitoes, right? Get that out of the way. No worries, no stress, no anxiety, no rush. Just a moment to be in. And in a moment like that, you ever get that feeling then that, you know what? This is the way the world was meant to be. This is the way it's supposed to be. That's shalom. When everything in the world around us is set up exactly the way God intended for it to be, that's shalom. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they broke that shalom. You and I were born into that sin, and we have that same brokenness in us. Neil Planinga has written several books, and in one of his books, he defines sin. He gives a definition of sin, and he says, here's what the definition of sin is. Sin is the culpable violation of shalom. That's what it means when we sin, that we are sinful, broken people, that we have destroyed that Shalom, that thriving and flourishing and active well-being of our world, that we have shattered that. 
the Messiah comes as the one who will restore it. Right? The one who restores that shalom again, who brings that back. Now, maybe sometimes we, right, it's Christmas time, and maybe sometimes we remind ourselves in the church that, you know what, Christmas isn't really about presents and parties and all the get-togethers and, and fancy meals and all of that. That's not what Christmas is really about. Christmas is about Jesus. But dig a little deeper into this, uh, this title that Isaiah gives, the Prince of Peace, right? the representative of Shalom. If Shalom is sort of that active pursuit of well-being in this world, maybe okay, just maybe we get glimpses of that even in the presents and the parties and the fancy meals. That when I buy presents and give, give Christmas gifts to other people, it's something that I do and I give for other people because it's an expression of my hope and my desire for their well-being. I want your life to be just a little bit better by giving you something, by sharing a gift, by sharing of that so that you can thrive and flourish just a little bit more. That we do catch these small glimpses of that, don't we? By sharing a good meal together with other people, we catch even just small glimpses of what that shalom looks like. Even if it is just a small glimpse, that we do see that, something that's given to us as a gift. So, broken that we are, sinful as we are, incomplete on our own as we are, the Messiah opened something, opened a door, opened a way, started something in this restoration of shalom that comes with the Savior, that comes with Jesus. Started something that he will complete. Right? Because if sin, if sin is defined as the violation of shalom, then the ultimate restoration of that would be to restore us even from death. Because death is the ultimate violation of shalom. When Jesus brings resurrection, that is fully restored shalom. And we are on that path and on that journey towards that, to where even now in the world that we live, even now in the world that we live, we see even now glimpses, small glimpses of that coming full restoration of shalom. That's something we celebrate at Christmas. That's something that means something to us. That's something that we come to church and we sing these songs because we know we have a Messiah who will fully restore that shalom in our world. And wherever it is we go from here today or tomorrow or in the coming week, whoever it is you gather with and you give them presents and you receive presents, you sit down at a table, you share a meal, you catch a glimpse, just a glimpse of what that shalom is moving towards, of what's going to be fully realized. 
all of that points us towards our Savior, towards Jesus, and what that shalom means for us. It's the same shalom that came and was announced by the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. In Luke 2, where the shepherds bring that message, it says this, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news, gospel, that will cause great joy in all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace, shalom to those on whom his favor rests. That he is the Prince of Peace, the representative of Shalom, who's come to us, the one who always has been our Savior, always is and always will be our Savior. Let's pray together. God, we come to you at this time and we acknowledge that you are the Prince of Peace. You are the God who brings shalom. And even as we now live in those same times where we look back and see how you have been a savior to your people in the past, that we live in a present time of eagerly awaiting that to be revealed to us. And as we look forward to a time when you will bring that complete restoration of shalom. Lord, we pray, give us pause, a time to stop, a time to be silent, a time to behold you, a time to be filled with all the wonder of your great gift of salvation come into this world. And God, we pray that our response of that may be a response of worship to lift up your name. God, we pray that our response to that may be a response that is active. May we even now catch and share those small glimpses of shalom that we see in your world around us. And may all of those things point us always and only to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Jesus came into the world as a light, says the Gospel of John. The light of the world has come. We have in this season talked about the ways that those lights come to us in the other candles that we've lit. 
that there is the light of hope, the light of peace, the light of joy, the light of love. And all of those things come together in the light of Christ, our Savior. So as we light that candle today, we do so recognizing that it is a light that is meant to be shared with us. That the light of Christ is a light that lives in our hearts through the Holy Spirit given to us. So by itself, in the darkness of this room, these candles just give a little bit of light. But when Christ shares his light among us, it is a light that kindles in our hearts. And when it's shared among all of us, it is then a light that is there for the world to see in us as people. So we're going to sing Silent Night, reminding ourselves of the light of the world that's come and sharing that light together. Would you stand and let's sing together? <laughs> 